Good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Stephen Goldstein, and I'm the director of the Taiwan Workshop at the Fairbank Center at Harvard University. And I'm very pleased uh, today to moderate a uh, roundtable on uh, the COVID-19 virus uh, and the experience in Taiwan. We just start off with a few thoughts. Um, it, it, Taiwan appears to be the land of miracles. In the 1970s, uh, when I was a grad, well, I was more than a graduate student, uh, the Taiwan miracle was the economic transformation that took place in Taiwan uh, after the um, uh, establishment uh, of, of rule on the island. In the, in the 2000s or in the turn of the 20th century, uh, the Taiwan miracle was a political miracle. Uh, it was the democratization of an authoritarian regime. And now uh, people are talking of a third miracle, uh, Taiwan's response to the COVID-19 virus. Uh, you see, the, the more I read about it, the more I see uh, terms like gold standard uh, being used to uh, characterize the, the Taiwan experience. Miracle is not a good word, uh, because every one of those miracles, including the miracle today, has been the result of political leadership and uh, societal participation. They're the result of policies led by political leaders with the participation and cooperation of the people. This was unquestionably the case in the first two miracles, and today it's becoming increasingly clear that the same holds for the present miracle. Uh, political leadership, societal effort, combined with technological capabilities, Social policies, government institutions have all played central roles in Taiwan's response. Today, we're going to uh, look at that response, and we're very fortunate to have some excellent guests to take part. From Taiwan, uh, we have Renzhang Chuang, uh, who is the Deputy Director General of the Centers for Disease Control. We have Stephen Guo president of National Yangmin University and former head of the Centers for Disease Control. We have Winnie Yip on the Harvard side, who is a professor of global health and economics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and Bill Xiao, William Xiao, uh, who is the K.T. Lee professor of economics also at the Chan School of Public Health. I've asked Professor Yip to uh, make a few introductory comments, and then we will go to a roundtable format uh, among the participants and end with questions from the uh, viewers. When that time comes, or during the talk if you'd like, uh, just simply press the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen to submit questions. You may choose to remain anonymous, but otherwise, uh, please provide your name and institutional affiliation. 
And finally, we expect to receive more questions than we're going to be able to answer. Not that we won't be able to answer, but the constraints will be time. I think with these people, we should be able to answer practically anything. Uh, and so we expect to receive more questions than we'll be able to answer. And uh, I hope you'll understand uh, if uh, your question is not introduced. So, uh, Dr. Yip, uh, would you like to begin? Right. <clears throat> Thank you, Steve. Um, good evening to our friends from Taiwan. Um, as Steve said, Taiwan is uh, holding up now as the gold standard in the response to COVID-19. So we're delighted to have this opportunity to um, hear from you what you do and share lessons for others. Now, um, for the audience who may not know, with a population of 23 million in Taiwan, as of June 1st, the total accumulated cases of COVID is only 443. Well, we wish it is zero, but if you look at what is happening in the United States and many other countries, being able to control it at 443 and the number of deaths is only seven so far. It is very admirable and we wish every country could do it. And um, you were able to, I mean, if I would quote what my epidemiologist colleague would say, you were able to manage the situation and control the growth of the number of cases so it doesn't go into exponential growth because once it goes into exponential growth it is out of control there are many things you cannot do and I think you are very successful by preventing that in happening and because of that you also avoid the shutting down the economy shutting down schools shutting down society which of course have major consequences and therefore much more difficult in recovery and also your healthcare system do not get crushed if i may say so because you were able to really intervene early and also fast um so again as my um epidemiologist friend here would say that, you know, with infectious disease, it's always about speed, speed, speed. And in this particular case, because COVID is um, transmission, is also asymptomatic. So the other keyword is test, test, test. And Taiwan seems to be able to adhere to speed, 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 and also do test, test, test. Um, so I think that um, it would be uh, wonderful if we can hear from you, um, if I may uh, ask uh, Dr. Zhuang to share with us briefly on what are some of the strategies that Taiwan introduced, especially in the early phase. I mean, I understand that even on December 31st, when WHO was informed by the Chinese government of COVID-19, you already started some measures on border control and then gradually take a very nuanced approach to expand it. And, and, and therefore, and, and this is uh, rather, I'm sure it is rather difficult because of the huge volume of travel between China and Taiwan, the large number of people who actually live in China and work in China and around Chinese New Year. 
and you also deploy technology beautifully and using the um, database that um, multiple database, including the National Health Insurance database, the Immigration database, to help you with case identification. So it would not be just a do justice for me to say it. So we're delighted that um, we would love to hear from Dr. Zhuang. What are some of the key strategies that you adopt for that you allow that allow you to? prevent the epidemiological curve to become a exponential, if I may say that. And then um, I'd like to invite Dr. Guo to perhaps list three lessons for other countries. Now, before the talk, um, actually Dr. Guo reminded us that today Dr. Zhuang is the spokesperson for COVID response. 17 years ago, he was the spokesperson for SARS, so we are very delighted to have both of them here. So with that said, can I uh, invite Dr. Zhuang to just give us a brief overview of what you did and then Dr. Paul. Okay, uh, uh, everyone, uh, thanks for uh, imagining to participate in this uh, online presentation. Uh, so, uh, for a Taiwan experience uh, in combating the COVID-19. So uh, I will share our experience. First, uh, I think we have a very uh, uh, rapid uh, response for the, for the, uh, uh, for, for the uh, early warning. For example, uh, on the December 30, 31, 2019, we learn from the PTT, that's a, a, a large uh, online forum in Taiwan. There had been at least seven cases of, of typical uh, pneumonia, and they were isolated in Wuhan, China. So at that time, because we uh, we have some doubt on this uh, news, so we send emails to the WHO and Chinese, Chinese CDC for the further information. Uh, um, so we also implement the onboard quarantine of our passenger from the Wuhan at the same day. And since that day, we, we had a press conference every day for, to, to communicate this situation, uh, the everyday situation with our public and share the share share our uh, public and the uh, uh, journalists about the uh, situation uh, in Wuhan. And although we only got the, some uh, very formal formal report from the uh, uh, China CDC, but uh, we we report such kind of uh, information. Uh, to the public, but we also uh, to to convey our uh, uh, our, our uh, uh, some kind of document uh, about this information to uh, ex to uh, told, to tell the pe to our people uh, to know uh, because we don't know. Uh, is this disease human-to-human uh, 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 -human transmission or not? We also don't know what's the uh, transmission, what is it uh, transmitted from the animal, or is there any source of the 
sort of influential agency. So uh, we we are trying to uh, to analyze such kind of information with our public every day. Then we also to uh, try to uh, uh, establish our diagnostic kit after the China release their genetic sequencing. So on January 15, we have listed this disease as a notifiable disease according to our Communicable Disease Control Act. So, and uh, on the January 20, we activate our Central Epidemic Command Center. So let's, let us can be mobilize all our resources and cross, cross our department effort to combat this disease. So it's fortunate two days later, we, uh, we, we, we got the first cases of the, of the uh, COVID-19 case uh, from the Wuhan. So uh, it demonstrates our ability to, uh, to diagnose the disease. And later we, we, we use the contact tracing. Uh, we have, we have, uh, we use our, uh, because in, in the past years, uh, we are trying to, to contact tracing every minor case. So if less any middle case occur, we we use our uh, staff personnel to try to uh, 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 investigate every potential uh, uh, layer contest and try to uh, uh, to monitor uh, is there any uh, case uh, occur during uh, this this, this uh, follow up period. So in the past years. We use the contact tracing for for the uh, TB measles uh, of the control such kind of disease. So uh, so happen in the in in for the COVID nineteen. It's it's just like a, a a very good very good experience for us to 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 do it, and uh, we also try to. Uh, uh, our expert panel also uh, instruct us how to uh, update our our definition of case uh, uh, frequently. So uh, in in the first beginning, we only focus on the uh, Wuhan uh, traveling history from the Wuhan. Then later we 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 are we. Uh, to expand our travel history, such as Hubei or, or from other places. So, and uh, also include other symptoms into our case, case, uh, case definition. And uh, I also want to share our another experience is we have the retrospective uh, uh, testing of the ne negative cases of, uh, of the influenza in Florida, with the severe complication uh, on the uh, 15 uh, February, so because of this this strategy, we we got the the case num case 19 case 19 of the COVID 19 uh, in in Taiwan, and this this case occurred in the hospital. Uh, and also uh, transmitted to uh, his family. So it's 
it's very fortunate for us to to catch this case uh, very early to to avoid the further uh, further transmission around the hospital. And uh, so uh, another thing is the uh, digital. Uh, I'd like to share. Uh, we have a, a some kind of advanced technology such as. We combine the, the our national health insurance data uh, with our uh, uh, migration uh, migration travel history. Uh, so when when the a patient uh, go to the uh, hospital, the uh, when uh, he he presents his uh, national health insurance card into the uh, uh, for the uh, to the clinic clinic the. The doctor can can know run, can notify uh, the, if this patient have any travel history in in the recent fourteen days to uh, alert the the doctor for is this a possible uh, 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 potential case of of COVID nineteen, and uh, we also have uh, uh, another digital smart technologies uh, like. Uh, uh, Digital fan system for the for the uh, for the people underlying uh, un underlying the current home quarantine uh, because we use this uh, cell phone uh, the signal from the cell phone and and uh, and and to to check with the uh, nearby cell uh, cell site so uh, uh, and and if if this pay, if these people uh, have out of the range of the of the of the uh, denominated house, then uh, the the police will gather gather uh, a notice alert, uh, and 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 try to figure out if this per person uh, did not obey our uh, home quarantine rule. So uh, uh, the police will will go to uh, uh, check this situation and and to if this this person also uh, 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 break break the rule then and, and then he will will have some uh, pun, uh, uh, pun, penalty penalty for the for some money okay. So this uh, some introduction of our current strategy for the uh, uh, COVID-19. Yeah. Great, thank you very much. There's so much there that I'm sure that um, we can come back to some of those uh, during the discussion and the Q&A as well. Dr. Guo, three lessons. Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, to invite me uh, to join you. Um, well, I'm not quite sure so I can uh, say any uh, kind of a, a lessons that are useful that the people can learn from. Uh, but uh, indeed, uh, we are kind of happy and proud of uh, the fact that uh, we are one of the very few uh, success stories. Uh, like you said, I'm not quite sure it's a miracle, but uh, at least uh, we are happy uh, the fact that uh, we can control uh, the uh, outbreak in the very early on. And I, I think uh, the result, like uh, Steve and uh, Winnie said, is really a combination of a speed, solidarity, uh, uh, the leadership, uh, technology and trust, uh, leadership and uh, perhaps luck. And uh, 
uh, and actually it's many luck, I would argue, you know. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, we have a vice president uh, who happened to be a top epidemiologist. And uh, he also, the former health ministers who was appointed as a minister in the middle of uh, SARS outbreak in 2003. And uh, we are lucky that uh, we have a health minister who serve as a commander in chief and who happened to be a great communicator. Yeah, and that's luck, I would say. And also, you know, it seems to me that among all the cases we have, there's none is we can call it a super spreaders, okay? And that's probably luck. And perhaps most importantly, uh, we are lucky that uh, we have an, a single-payer national health insurance uh, program, you know, in place for 25 years that uh, Professor Shaw helped to build, you know, and that is really serve as a uh, foundations, you know, uh, to uh, to link and to provide a affordable cares and the trust to the the people, and also uh, because the uh, information, uh, technology, and the infrastructures, and so that uh, serve as a platform, like you say, you know, uh, they can link all the data set together. So I'm not quite sure. So I can say, you know, there's a uh, three or four lessons. Uh, we can share uh, with the other country, but I'm pretty sure speed is the number one things. And perhaps test, I would probably argue, you know, uh, mass testing is not the idea. So I have uh, problems with the WHO saying, you know, the key is test, test, test. I would probably like uh, the WHO say is mask, 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 instead of test, 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 you know. And so, and, and definitely, I mean, uh, risk communication is uh, very important. I think Dr. Zhuang and the uh, Commander-in-Chief, the, uh, the uh, Minister Chen, uh, spend hours uh, every day, uh, you know, talking to the, uh, the, the public uh, in a daily uh, uh, press conference. And it really helped, I mean, uh, it come the people provide the right and coherent, consistent uh, message to the public. And so I think all of them is, uh, would be probably the, uh, the reasons that we, we have uh, the, the successful results so far. Great, thank you very much. Um, I can't help to ask a question before I turn to Professor Shao to ask some question is this, test, test, test versus mask, mask, mask. Um, um, maybe I'll cast the question a little bit broader. That is, um, one of the challenge of COVID-19 is that um, transmission can be asymptomatic, which is different from SARS, which makes prevention um, much more complicated. What would you, I mean, you can say advice or you can say reflection, given these characteristics of COVID-19, what would be some of the more um, effective or nuanced strategies that also can be deployed very quickly? Um, I mean, here in the U.S., we talk about tests, but then we also uh, 
run into all the blunders of not having the right test. Or, and so, so I'd love to hear from both of you, what are your thoughts on the, the fact that COVID is asymptomatic and given that characteristics, what would you recommend? Okay. Uh, in my side, I think uh, we did we 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 did the testing for isolating the case from their context, and after we uh, identify the cases and the context, the case will be treated in the hospital, and uh, the contact will be home quarantine for fourteen days. So if there is any a symptom case, they also uh, within their home will not spread to others. And this also apply to the uh, traveler, uh, inbound traveler. So if they uh, got the, the illness from the, from the other country and after they entry into Taiwan, they also uh, have the 14 days of quarantine, then uh, it's not uh, so 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 we, we so is it is he a, a symptom or not or a symptom it will be uh, quarantine and will not transmit to other person and finally uh, we also uh, because in Taiwan uh, men it's uh, air pollution is very uh, uh, severe so uh, uh, many many people wear their face masks uh, frequently. So in Taiwan, uh, healthy people also wear the face masks. And, uh, and it's, I think this time we can uh, come back the COVID-19 very successful. Uh, wearing the face mask may be also a, a some kind of uh, good, good measure to, to combat this disease. But uh, for some other country, they don't. Uh, they, they they may think uh, we're wearing the face mask may be very strange. So uh, it will it, it maybe did not work very well. So that's my opinion. Well, I, I certainly agree. You know, uh, it's very important uh, to uh, to understand that the SARS is quite different uh, from uh, COVID because uh, COVID later on has been proved that can transmit asymptomatically. Well, actually, in the early on, uh, we have that uh, a question is whether or not uh, they uh, really like that. And actually, uh, people uh, like uh, Tony Fauci in the very beginning argue probably uh, asymptomatic transmission is not really the drivers of the, 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 the outbreak. And, you know, the argument is the same in Taiwan early on. So uh, that I say, I mean, so it's kind of uh, lucky for Taiwan because uh, people are really kind of scared during the SARS outbreak. And because of, uh, they are uh, used to wear masks or either because uh, the uh, air pollutions or because uh, people are, you know, riding bicycle in Taiwan and they are used. To. And, but anyway, you know, people kind of, uh, uh, believe uh, the mask can help. And so in the early on of the, the COVID uh, uh, outbreak, actually, so we, we have the problem of a mask shortage. Uh, 
so the government has come up with some measures uh, to rationing uh, the mask in the very beginnings. Just fortunately that, that uh, the supplies catch up and so we don't have that problem. But the asymptomatic transmission is uh, somewhat a key uh, in this outbreak, uh, definitely different from the SARS. Now, uh, so the question is whether or not uh, the test can solve the problems, okay? Uh, I would argue that in Taiwan, uh, although we didn't do the mass testing, but we do the test uh, uh, precisely, or uh, I, I would call it uh, precision testing or precision public health instead of, you know, trying to uh, do the mass testing like all, you know, lockdown uh, country or a blanket order to, to ask the public to stay at home. Uh, we are doing more precisely. We are using a uh, scalpel instead of a hammer, in, so to speak. And so uh, this has to uh, definitely have some uh, positive effect on the outcome of the, uh, the outbreak. And uh, definitely, like you said, I mean, it didn't hurt the economy uh, that much. Great. Thank you so much. Um, lots of lessons for especially the U.S. to learn from. And, um, and, and I understand that you're actually doing a lot of work to in, uh, precisely identify uh, the population into different risk groups. And therefore, you can be much more targeted and nuanced in um, doing testing or quarantine and so on. So let me turn to Professor Xiao, um, whom um, I think have lots of questions for both of you. <laughs> uh, Bill, please. Well, my first question is that um, you emphasize speed is the key to contain this virus. Uh, can you share with the audience to have a speedy reaction, you have to be prepared. And you did the preparation for such kind of outbreak. Uh, you learned from SARS experience. Can you tell us a little bit more in detail what preparation you had done? Okay. Okay. Well, actually, um, uh, like uh, Dr. Zhuang just mentioned, that well, uh, uh, in uh, in the end of uh, the uh, last years, right, uh, we can pick up uh, the uh, signal uh, from the social medias. Well, how do we can do that? You know is precisely because after SARS outbreak, we have put in place a surveillance systems, which actually is uh, run by Dr. Drum. Uh, you know, uh, he is an expert of uh, bioinformatics and I'm lucky that I can recruit him from Yangming to uh, the Taiwan CDC. And so in a sense, after SARS outbreaks, uh, we put in place a surveillance systems. Well, maybe uh, Dr. Zhuang can uh, elaborate a little bit about all the system we have. And the system, 
the monitoring uh, surveillance system is not only monitoring and collect the data uh, from our hospital or clinics or ER or, you know, or the national health insurance. They also monitor, you know, social medias and the news report around the world. And that's why we have the capacity to pick up the signal very, very early on. And once we pick up the signal, as I understand, uh, we immediately sound the alarm, okay? So everybody knows there's something. And because, like you just mentioned, uh, you know, people are scared during the SARS outbreak. So in a sense, the society is humanized, uh, in a sense, you know, uh, by the SARS outbreak. So when they heard the term coronavirus, they are scared. And so they are voluntarily uh, to uh, co collaborate or, you know, they change their behavior immediately. And that is one of the examples that we prepare uh, for the next pandemic by putting in place a surveillance system that I would say is a, uh, you know, something we really kind of are proud of, yeah. Uh, I, I will introduce our uh, medical officer, Dr. Angela Huang, to answer this question. Hi, um, right, so I'm Angela Huang, I'm one of the med medical officers here uh, at Taiwan CDC. So um, with regarding to the other preparation that we've done, um, over the last 17 years since 2003, the SARS outbreak. Um, I think one of the things that Dr. Guo had mentioned is very important is our rumor surveillance and that was put into place uh, by Dr. Drum. But, and I think in addition to that, uh, we have, um, over the years, we've learned the, ex uh, the importance of having our laboratory capacity. And so that was built up um, over the last um, 17 years or so since the, our last um, uh, SARS outbreak. Um, so, you know, we were able to quickly get our uh, laboratory testing uh, capacity and get that ramped up and have that. Um, our central reference laboratory um, acquired the uh, testing kits or actually they, um, they um, uh, set up their own protocol uh, for testing and very quickly uh, got our contract laboratories and um, to be involved so that we can uh, increase our laboratory capacity. So um, by doing that, uh, slowly expanding our laboratory capacity, uh, right now we can test about 5,000, um, six, sorry, 6,000 um, uh, uh, specimens a day. And that, and that capacity is all over, the, um, all over the island. So I think that was one of the important things that um, we were able to diagnose and um, identify patients very quickly. Another thing is that, you know, over um, during SARS, one of the important things was that uh, the, the disease was transmitted um, from patients to hospital um, healthcare workers. So um, one thing that was important, uh, an important lesson that was learned during SARS is the importance of having each hospital needing to have their own infection control uh, protocol in place. In fact, um, this is a very, very much stressed uh, throughout the country that uh, we also have a, a hospital network that is um, specifically trained 
uh, to deal with um, things like this. So a pandemic. So and you know, in the last 17 years, we have H1N1, we've had Ebola, we've had H7N1, we've had MERS, and all these um, diseases, whether they came to Taiwan or not, um, we were able to activate uh, and practice um, our hospital um, network. So uh, each hospital understands the importance of asking each patient about their travel history, about their contact history, and, and about their symptoms. And each hospital understands how they need to respond uh, when patients are suspected uh, diseases like uh, like COVID nineteen or MERS or Ebola, uh, how they how they need to contain it and um, prevent the disease from spreading in hospitals and to our healthcare workers. And I think one of the things that's also very important um, was that we have the laws and regulations that that was put in place um, so that you know we can get things mobilized very quickly uh, when we do have uh, things like this happen. Over. Yeah. Well, the other thing I would like to add, uh, if I may, is that, uh, you know, after the SARS outbreak, uh, we recruit and add uh, more than 30 uh, medical uh, officers, you know, uh, really young and talented uh, uh, medical officers uh, like, uh, you know, Angela Wong, uh, just, you know, we, we just heard. Uh, uh, her, uh, her, her saying about, you know, all these ideas. And actually, many of them, uh, we send them uh, to uh, Atlanta, US CDC for training two years as uh, EISA officers. So as I remember, actually, uh, during uh, a period of uh, 10 years uh, from 2005 to 2015, uh, at any given times, we have uh, medical officers in Atlanta uh, trained as an EIS officer, but also serve as a liaison uh, for us and uh, connecting Taiwan CDC and the US CDC. We have another one in Europe uh, serving as a liaison to European CDC. And so that is all part of our uh, preparations, you know, uh, we have this uh, extra manpower, so in the case uh, that we have outbreak like this, then we can use, yeah. Do you want to continue with y'all? Well, I don't want to ask uh, too many questions. Uh, again, this is on the really early action. Uh, you are able to test the travelers. But how quickly are you able to develop good tests since the DNA sequencing did not occur until January? I'm sorry, the sequencing of the virus did not get announced until January 7th. Did Taiwan develop its own testing or do you rely on the Germans' tests? Because the United States CDC trying to develop its own test and it did not work out. Right. Um, if I could just attempt to answer this because I'm not a laboratorian. 
So we actually relied on um, the WHO protocol. So as soon as the sequence uh, was published, uh, we uh, were able to um, design that the same sequence. So basically that's what uh, most countries were doing. Um, so, in a, so we uh, looked at the WHO's um, protocol, and but we also looked at the protocols that was used in Japan. So, um, but the protocol that we were using is, or and we are still using is mostly um, based on the WHO protocol. That's the German system. Yeah, that's the German system. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. yeah. I want to um, ask a question about um, what you use the commander in chief. Now in the US, we keep saying that um, we are lacking the commander in chief in our fight against COVID-19. Um, Taiwan has um, the um, Center for Epidemic Control uh, Center. And can you share with uh, the um, audience a little bit of um, what is the function of that center and based on what would trigger to activate it, how is, um, who leads it, and how does it make decisions? What power does it have in terms of decision making and what decision still needs to be approved by others? Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a set of governance question. And, and, and again, this is a, a question that we have seen in many other countries is, um, is there one person or one group that actually can make decision very quickly and based on what, and, and how is it being activated? So um, can you share a little bit of that with um, us? It's a very tough question. Um, we have the uh, Central Epidemic Command Center activated uh, on the January, January 20th. Uh, we have three labels uh, for the uh, January 20, we activate the, 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 the how to say, the, the, the level three, the level three command center. Uh, that's our uh, uh, Taiwan CD, director, director of Taiwan CDC as a commander in chief. So uh, in this label, uh, uh, so, so uh, based on the severity of the disease, then we will change to change the, the, the label to level two. So level two uh, is uh, chaired by our uh, minister uh, of, of uh, 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 well, uh, well, uh, health and, uh, and welfare, and Dr. Chen, the, the commander, and uh, uh, it, on the level three, on level one, uh, also the Dr. Chen, but uh, it's, it's uh, uh, how to say, uh, uh, it's from the Izeti uh, Yen to, uh, to uh, give, give him uh, the, the, the power to, to lead, the, lead, lead the, the command center. So uh, after, uh, increase to the level one command center, you can see uh, uh, all the uh, course department, uh, they change their, uh, their staff. Uh, uh, the deputy. The deputy uh, minister will become our uh, uh, staff of the command center. 
But in the label two, uh, only the uh, 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 low label of the step come to our command center. So when we uh, increase our label to level one, so we have more power on on the cross cross department to to uh, to uh, how to to this to make a decision for any any uh, uh, any any major. So for example, uh, to do the uh, to decide uh, to cross the border, I I think. Uh, it is not from our commander. It, it, it will be from our uh, president. President's uh, uh, his uh, how to say uh, his deci her decision. So uh, so there are a lot of uh, the the Ezekiel also they, they 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 also help us to do it. So you can see from the the news our uh, debit, uh, vice premier. Uh, of Dr. Chen Qi Mai, he, he also helped us to um, uh, to to uh, to have the meeting with us and to help the uh, when when our uh, uh, minister uh, Dr. Chen uh, uh, to 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 make a decision for any tough question tough question. So uh, and uh, we also have the everyday press conference led by our doctor, our commander, Doctor Chen. So uh, he's a very, uh, very nice, uh, nice people. Can explain uh, any any question to the public and the journalists. So uh, every people uh, because he's he's. Uh, presentation in the conference so very every people very very like uh, Dr. Dr. Commander Dr. Chen and uh, recently uh, because we don't have uh, the new do domain uh, new do uh, uh, new local cases so uh, every county uh, every mayor of the county like to invite him to go to the, uh, go to their county to uh, to sell their their uh, agriculture, so uh, currently uh, he, he is a very good model for the uh, uh, to uh, transmit uh, the trans transparency of the information to the public and 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 to explain every detail of our decision to the reporter and every every people in Taiwan very very like our commander. So uh, I think this is my, my, my explanation. Right. So, so this uh, command office is headed by the Minister of Health, but yes. uh, with members that are deputy minister from across a number of ministries, including transportation, economy, education, etc., that would allow them to make cross-sector decisions that are relevant, but also yes. backed up by the executive UN's um, uh, 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 authority to make decision. Um, so, um, Bill, do you have another question before I ask another one? Well, I, I think this is on many people's minds that uh, Taiwan is, has been excluded from WHO because of China's opposition. And uh, do you think being 
outside the WHO has hindered your effort to contain, control, and manage this virus? Well, um, I, I think uh, for this particular outbreak, uh, I, I won't say uh, 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 being outside WHO has uh, impact or any significant impact uh, on our ability to uh, respond and, uh, to this uh, outbreak. And uh, because I think uh, in the very beginning, uh, like, you know, year 2000s or the day before 2000s, uh, we have been uh, trying to get into WHO as an observers. And, uh, but that was, uh, you know, uh, year 2000s, okay? Uh, that was the year that uh, we didn't have uh, many uh, experience. Uh, but like, uh, as I uh, indicate, uh, the SARS really served as a wake-up call for Taiwan, and we learned a lot, and we collaborated with the U.S. CDC and other countries. And so uh, uh, I think uh, the overall uh, uh, disease uh, control system has been uh, improved a lot. And also... Uh, in the year 2009, we are able uh, to join the WHO as an observer. So to some degree, uh, we, have, uh, we have the experience of being an observer and know, you know what uh, you can have uh, to be part of the WHO. And so, you know, things change, I'm, I mean, a lot. Okay, so uh, some of uh, some of the people in Taiwan, uh, including myself, would say, "Well, it would be wonderful if uh, Taiwan can be part of WHO. You know, uh, why not?" But uh, if we can't, uh, it's not really a big deal. Okay, uh, we still can. Uh, fight the disease and, uh, you know, work uh, with people, uh, you know, was uh, uh, friendly to Taiwan. Yeah. And I wouldn't say, you know, uh, we are lucky uh, to be not a, a member of WHO or not an observer. Yeah. But I do know some of uh, my colleagues would argue, say, you know, we are lucky that uh, we are not part of the WHO. So, you know, we work double hard, you know, to try to protect uh, Taiwan, you know. And also, we don't have to listen to what the WHO uh, suggested. I won't say that. I mean, uh, even uh, we are part of the WHO and observer, you know, we can make our own decisions regardless of what uh, WHO say. Yeah. So, uh you know, so the short answer is no. I don't think uh, it's really a matters uh, in uh, nowadays uh, to be a part of the virtual or not. Yeah, but it would be wonderful that uh, uh, we could be a part of the virtual. But we are not going to bet uh, to be uh, an observer or a member. Yeah.
It's only my opinion. Okay, I have to say <laughs> it's not an official government、uh, point of view. Yes, it is well noted. <laughs> <laughs> so、um, uh, I have another question. Going back to, I think one of the strategy that Taiwan uses, a broad strategy Taiwan uses to prevent the. Um, COVID nineteen to become exponential is your great surveillance, right?、Um, case identification, deploying technology, linking up different databases. Now, in the Western society, there's always this question of、um, privacy, confidentiality.、Um, so,、um, has that been an issue in Taiwan, and how do you counteract with that? Um, it's always a concern、uh, with privacy.、Um, so I think、uh, one of the things,、um, you know, when the outbreak was at its peak here in Taiwan is probably,、um, you know, middle of March, and、um, you know, the people are interesting in the sense that you know our feelings about things change over time. So when when there were when things were tense. And when people are panicked, then you know sometimes these privacy privacy issues don't seem as important.、Um, so people were,、uh, some people, you know, we're, you're going to see extremes. Some people are happy that these things are happening, so you know we can all protect, all be protected. But of course, then there are、um, the fewer、uh, few people who are, you know have become to be concerned. Uh, about privacy issues, so you know, and as the outbreak is、uh, dwindling here in Taiwan, then these. I think we lost、uh, Doctor Wang for a little bit. Well, maybe I can continue、yes. what I'm <laughs> trying to say. Well, actually, you know, privacy issue is an issue. So, you know, uh, uh, but uh, luckily we have been debating that、uh, for a long time since we have the national health insurance. You know, they collect all the data. You know, issuing the first、uh, insurance car, I think,、uh, many many years ago. And so,、uh, you know, the privacy issue is over there. So.、Uh, Uh, and so、uh, there is a degree of、uh, consensus that、uh, you need to write the strike the right balance, okay? And、uh, you need to have a sound uh, uh, security and, uh, 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 arrangements uh, for all these、uh, uh, 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 informations. And so,、uh, if I'm correct, actually.、Uh, About、uh, two months ago, actually in the Congress, there's a, a debate and、uh, to how to、uh, protect the privacy at the same times to use the to、uh, use the informations、uh, for、uh, contact tracing and that sort of things. And so they come up with a solution that、uh, they can collect the informations, but only with a certain time frame. Uh, like that,、uh, if I'm correct, is something like、uh, the government can keep the information for, say, you know,、uh, 
30 days or 40 days, and uh, they have to re- you know, delete all the information. And that is the way to protect uh, the, uh, the privacy. So yes, there is a kind of a discussions, and I, we, we certainly would argue that uh, the, techno- uh, the, uh, uh, the digital uh, technology we are talking here is more a legal issue than uh, uh, technical issues because you know, uh, a country like the US and other developed countries can easily you know, adopt the information and can easily adopt uh, the, uh, the technology. You know, uh, but you need to uh, take into account the privacy issues. And I think uh, we have been uh, solved that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably uh, Dr. Zhuang can answer the question that, you know, uh, the Congress has decided, you know, we can keep the information for how long? Is there something like 30 days or 40 days? Right, so um, the Congress has decided that uh, the information could be kept for 28 28 days. days. Um, so it, is, it, it needs to be erased. So, um, so it, it definitely is a concern, and we are taking into account. I don't know if Bill has any lasting question. Maybe we should also give the audience an opportunity to ask questions as well, Steve. Do you, or would you like us to continue? I, I think we should let the audience have a chance to ask questions. Well, we'll get to that, Bill. Oh, uh, I, I just want to follow up on this uh, sur- surveillance. Uh, somebody um, on the Taiwan side a moment ago talked about the digital fence. Uh, and, and that is uh, apparently a, a very effective and important part of uh, the Taiwan project. And it's probably the most difficult uh, to begin to think about introducing uh, in, in the United States, to be more specific. The digital fence is actually a kind of uh, tracing of the movements of an individual uh, who is limited to uh, a, a, a small space, usually the home, and when they leave that space, uh, they're engaged in what's basically criminal activities. And the state uh, has the ability to uh, punish them. Uh, that, that would be a tough, uh, a tough road uh, if one tried that in the United States, I, I think. Uh, so it, in a sense, what I, as a political scientist, I've got to sort of ask myself, what, what, what is it about Taiwan uh, that, that makes this possible? Uh, is it a kind of uh, cultural unity or national unity? Uh, is it a legacy of a more authoritarian past? Um, how, why do people accept that? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think uh, the digital fence system only a supportive system, but uh, it is not tracking the GPS location of of the the cell phone owner. It it use only the use the 
to 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 identify a person's whereabouts based on the location of his mobile phone relative to the nearby cell towers. So, uh, which uh, this can reveal the distance of the phone from a specific cell uh, reception tower. So, uh, in our from our law, we have we uh, our we 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 uh, did not allow the people to run out of his home if he has uh, the home quarantine. So the the digital fan system only a supportive system to based on the this law to do to do it. So if we don't have this system. The hours, uh, our staff also will call this this uh, this uh, quarantine pe person the uh, twice per per day, and to 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 ask him is he has any illness or is any health need to be supported, or uh, and to to them is he is out of his out of. So if we don't have this, if we don't have this defense system, this uh, digital fence system, we also, uh, if if we know these people uh, uh, did not uh, break our rule, these people also need to be uh, get a, a, a fine, right? Okay, maybe he can. Yes. So I just want to um, kind of jump in here also. Um, the digital fence system is not uh, as rigid as people think it is. So, you know, if people do leave their designated area, what they, I mean, the police don't come running over it and, you know, find these people and put them in, uh, uh, in jail. Um, so basically, if you leave the premise where you're supposed to be, and, and there is some, uh, uh, you go a little distance, um, you know, because uh, with the triangulation uh, technology, it's not that precise. Um, so if people leave their designated area, uh, they actually get a text message reminding them that they are under home quarantine and they need to go back. And as soon as they go back, you know, there's no, no additional um, measure that needs to be taken. So, um, so the digital system, uh, fence system is there, they're using triangulation, but um, there, there is, uh, we do understand that there, there are problems with it. Well, uh, perhaps I can um, answer uh, in this way uh, that uh, actually uh, in 2003, when uh, the SARS outbreak, um, we quarantined um, many people, okay? And uh, there's a meeting, uh, I was asked by a legal counsel from uh, USCDC. And he was so surprised that, that uh, Taiwan can quarantine a uh, person without court order. And actually it struck me, you know, we, 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 we really don't have to, uh, to, to have the court order, but it reminds us that uh, we need to uh, have a, a legal support for us to doing so. So 
after the SARS outbreak, actually we amended uh, the uh, Communicate uh, uh, Disease uh, Control Act to allow the commander in chief uh, in a, uh, to have uh, the power to issue an order like this uh, if he thinks uh, this is the right thing uh, to do. And actually, uh, for the COVID outbreak at this time, the Congress uh, passed another law, also uh, give the authority to the, com uh, the commander in chief. Uh, we call it a, you know, a total authority, you know. Mm -hmm. Perhaps someone will challenge you that, but this is, uh, uh, is a law, you know, uh, debated in the Congress and passed. And so uh, I would say that uh, this is, uh, you know, is a issue, is a perhaps is a cultural one, but we in a democratic countries now in like in Taiwan, we do need to have that uh, uh, law to be debated and passed in the Congress. So uh, yes, uh, is, is part of the cultures, uh, part of the histories we have because of the SARS outbreak, uh, but also I think it has been done uh, legally and lawfully uh, in, 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 in Taiwan society right now, yeah. Okay. Steve, you want to turn to the Q and A's yet? Uh, I I think we can do that if if no one else in the on the panel has something they would like to or an issue they would like to raise. So I have one question for both of our Taiwanese friends and for Bill as well. Do you think that I mean Dr. Guo uh, make reference to the fact that Taiwan has a single payer system? and therefore care is affordable and you have a comprehensive database. So do you think that COVID-19 would be a force, maybe this is for Bill, <laughs> to help the US to move towards more of a single payer system? <laughs> wow. I you can limit yourself to 30 second answer. <laughs> I would say I don't have that ability to read the tea leaves. I think the United States right now is in turmoil, in flames, and uh, and uh, we and I don't know how the politics in the United States and uh, the people actually going to be reacting. And um, but I hope personally. You, this COVID, as well as the death of George Floyd, produced such a huge earthquake. United States will wake up and reform its political and the social and economic system. United States has grown, in my opinion, to be an unequal, unjust society. It's not an exemplary nation for democratic form of government. Maybe we should turn to the um, audience Q&A. And uh, I would just say that I look forward to the date when Taiwan opened up the border so we can travel there again. And when might that be? <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Uh, it's a, we, we currently we are enjoying our uh, our, our our domestic traveling uh, because currently we are don't have any case locally. Uh, but for we when we uh, we leave our border because uh, when uh, we need to currently we are trying to categorize the risk risk of the national uh, into four category based on the the incidence of the the cases uh, the transparencies of the, the information uh, the surveillance and the, the testing capacity and and the mutual trust and the, the, the that's one the mutual trust so um because uh, we we need to uh, have some uh, 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 daring with with the country to have such kind of uh, traveling uh, 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 mutual tra- traveling uh, travel bubble such such kind of idea. So it need to need to have some negotiation. So we need need our MOFA staff to to go that. Uh, go to 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 deal with such kind of uh, 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 information with other country. Uh, I think we still uh, at least one month later to to deal with such kind of information. Yeah. Right. Let's turn over to Steve. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, one one reflection on what Bill said. Uh, I, as I was listening to him, I was thinking that actually uh, the Taiwan experience might be used uh, as an argument against uh, single-payer national health. Uh, I can see people in this country arguing that uh, it's, it'll just make it make the government even more intrusive, uh, give the government even more information. And uh, when you've got uh, a population that's talking about their right not to wear a mask. Uh, the, the idea that uh, there, there would be a central compilation uh, of the population, I think is rather difficult to see being sold. And, and I think it may in fact be used as an argument against a uh, single payer, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, there are two populations in Taiwan that we that we haven't talked much about. Uh, one is the elderly population, particularly old age homes. Uh, it, it seems that that's a center uh, of COVID-19 in the United States. And I was wondering how t- Taiwan is handling that. Uh, old, old people under uh, care. The second thing, of course, is the Yuanji, the, um, the Aboriginal population. Um, I, I haven't heard much about them, or read really read much about them. Are are, are they fully integrated uh, into this program or this system as well? Um, so we very yes. Go ahead. Well, uh, in terms of the elderly, I think uh, on. In the very beginnings, we know that uh, they will be uh, the uh, most uh, vulnerable one, you know, uh, like my mom, you know, 
she lived, uh, 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 well, it's actually, you know, most of the time with me, but, you know, uh, is 85, and so uh, she is the, uh, the, the, the most vulnerable one. So uh, people are knowing that we need to protect uh, the elderly, uh, either they live uh, in their home or they're with their kids. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, my mom uh, stayed home, uh, even without an order of uh, stayed at home. They stayed at, she stayed at home uh, for almost uh, two months already. Yeah, and so, and also for the long-term care facility, I know the government has a special programs uh, to try to, you know, to protect them, to ban uh, the visiting, uh, uh, the visitors and, and, and that sort of thing. So there's a programs on uh, the, uh, the long-term care. You know, I don't know uh, too much about the Aboriginal uh, people, but I'm, I don't think that would be a, uh, Kind of a problem, and but because, uh, like you say, you know, we didn't reach the point of uh, out of control. So you know, uh, you know, most of the people in Taiwan are still uh, are pretty lucky. Uh, uh, has been uh, taking care well, and so. Um, uh, but I because you know, you know, the the national health insurance cover 99% of people, including the elderly, including the Aboriginal. So uh, uh, they are being treated equally. And so I don't really think that would be a, a particular problem uh, for uh, those two group of people. Uh, maybe uh, Dr. Zhuang or uh, Angela can add on that. Dr. Zhuang? Yes, hi, sorry. Um, so with the long-term care facilities, uh, one of the first things that we actually did is to um, ask people not to go visit their elderly. And I, it's very, very difficult. Um, so, you know, visitors to the long-term care facilities uh, were limited um, so that to prevent um, people from uh, bringing diseases into these care facilities. Um, and then a lot of the other elderlies um, either are living uh, with their families and or, um, you know, uh, or have other carers at home. And because everyone is wearing masks, uh, whether they want to or not, and, you know, just like what Dr. Guo has said, you know, our elderlies also were um, very uh, worried about, um, being infected, so they were also staying home and avoiding a lot of places um, that they would usually meet with other elderly people. Our Aboriginal uh, population hasn't really been affected uh, disproportionately. Um, this really is a disease that um, are imported, um, so uh, we have not seen uh, the, the disease being spread in our Aboriginal population. Well, we have a question um, from uh, one of our listeners or one of our participants. Uh, the question is the um, applicability of what's been done in Taiwan uh, to, to a larger context. That is, uh, has the scale of Taiwan, not the culture, which we've been talking about earlier, but the size 
has the size of Taiwan uh, made a difference in responding to the uh, COVID-19 virus? And if that's the case, how applicable are the, or what are the more applicable, applicable lessons uh, that um, can be used elsewhere? And what are the less applicable lessons that can be used elsewhere? Well, it seems to me the size, um, uh, probably not the size, but uh, being an island uh, has something uh, to do with the, uh, our ability to control. So like uh, New Zealand, uh, they have been doing that so well uh, with a very enhanced border control. Uh, New, New Zealand have uh, 4.5 uh, millions of uh, populations and Taiwan has uh, 23 millions uh, in a, well, relatively small island, I would say. So I'm not quite sure uh, the size of uh, the populations. Uh, uh, I would probably argue that, you know, uh, in a country with 23 million people is not a small size of countries. Yeah, and so, uh, but I, I, I think, uh, 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 with, uh, uh, as you know, that uh, we uh, did, uh, uh, we uh, shut down the borders uh, uh, very early on, and that certainly allowed us to, to uh, stop uh, the virus, uh, keep importing uh, to uh, Taiwan, and that I think that's the key. Uh, probably less uh, to do with uh, the, the size of the, uh, the island or the population. Interesting. Uh, anyone else on, on the panel? Have I, I, I have other questions that I can uh, ask? All right, um, the issue of a second wave. One, one of the questions that's come in is uh, about uh, the uh, possibility of a second wave, which is uh, certainly an, an item being discussed in the United States. Um, what, well, I, I, what preparations uh, will you be making for a second wave? And if Taiwan's uh, primary advantage or, or one of Taiwan's most important ways of responding to the COVID uh, virus was to, in a sense, close down the island uh, to um, uh, people coming in. Then uh, the second question is, if there is going to be a second wave, uh, can one think about uh, traveling to Taiwan in the future? Uh, or will that be unlikely? <laughs> okay. Uh, currently, we are trying to promote our people for a new uh, new normal uh, to prevent the future disease. So we promote the people who uh, uh, have the social distancing. Uh, if, they, if they cannot maintain the social distancing, they, they, they must uh, wear the, the, the face mask. 
So uh, in the future, if we open the border, then we 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 want to the uh, face masks to protect uh, our people. Not be uh, if, if there is any any infectious case uh, entering to Taiwan, then uh, if we have such kind of uh, a personal protective to stop the, the transmission. This is our the first level of uh, protection. Then uh, we also try to uh, uh, investigate the, the 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 vaccination from our uh, domestic uh, manufacturer vaccine uh, manufacturer and also uh, also trying to uh, uh, investigate other uh, vaccine uh, manufacturer in 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 the other country. So uh, to uh, if any chance we can get the uh, enough vaccine uh, in in the future. So that's the current our strategy. Yeah. I think uh, certainly we are worried about the second wave or the third wave or fourth wave. Actually, in Taiwan, we call the first wave is the wave from the mainland China, and the second wave is from uh, the uh, the uh, the European and the, the U.S. And so now, uh, if we open up uh, the borders, then there's probably another wave. Of, okay, and certainly uh, even. Uh, 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 the, the virus uh, disappear for the summer times, uh, as you said, uh, they probably coming back uh, in the winters. So as long as we are uh, try to open up the border, uh, then we have a higher risk to get uh, uh, the virus coming. Uh, and that's why, as uh, Dr. Zhuang saying, you know, uh, the commander in chief is really struggling uh, to make uh, the uh, the the right uh, decisions uh, to when and how to open uh, the borders. And uh, he is suggesting that, uh, you know, they are starting to open up uh, slowly, uh, perhaps uh, for a country like New Zealand or Vietnam or, you know, Hong Kong. I don't know. I cannot say for the, the government, but I think they are discussing that. Uh, and also, uh, Certainly, vaccine preparedness and uh, production is not a is another uh, big issues. And I, as I understand that the government uh, uh, is trying to uh, secure uh, the supply of uh, vaccines, uh, given the fact that we do have uh, th uh, more than two uh, uh, vaccine uh, uh, manufacturers here in Taiwan. Uh, one of them are collaborating with the uh, USNIH to have a vaccine for a long time. I mean, uh, for uh, they have a collaborations uh, for a, about five years since the dengue uh, uh, vaccine. So, I mean, uh, yes, it's a concern. And uh, uh, like uh, Professor Shaw said, everything is in, you know, you have to prepare in advance. And so we are doing the same. We have a question from a Taiwan citizen in uh, Beijing. And uh, that citizen asks, uh, if the WTO 
was not that helpful, why does Taiwan want to become a part of it? <laughs> well, actually, that's what, uh, what I'm trying to say, right? Well, let me put it this way. Well, actually, currently uh, in Taiwan, there's a three group of people, okay, uh, with regard to WHO. One group of people is that they are arguing that we should be a full member instead of a observer. That's the first group of people. The second group of people, probably the majority of people, uh, they want to be an observer, okay? But is a, um, you know, with uh, respect and dignity, and also uh, uh, with uh, with a uh, without you know any uh, invitations, okay? That is another group of people. And the third group of people is, uh, you know, is probably a minority, but that includes me and other my friends that saying. You know, we, we really don't have to be part of the WHO, okay? Uh, this is not a uh, organization that we want to be, okay? So uh, the answer is that uh, there are people want to be uh, to be part of the WHO, but also there are people like me, you know, we don't really care about the WHO uh, anymore, yeah. And so it really depends. And as you uh, know that uh, since the uh, 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 U.S. Uh, is, uh, well, is not really U.S., it's uh, President Trump uh, trying to withdraw from WHO, then uh, there are another reasons uh, probably Taiwan uh, cannot or uh, should reconsider our positions. Uh, by the way, you know, uh, 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 my deputy uh, uh, president uh, is a former AIT director called Bill Staten. Probably you heard about him. Uh, he is now uh, my deputy uh, uh, in uh, National Yaming University. And uh, he is one of the people uh, arguing that, you know, uh, Taiwan need not to be at uh, WHO. And, uh, and so does... Uh, uh, USA, you know, and so there yeah, are people, you know, uh, probably have a different views. So uh, that is, I would say, you know, the uh, the attitude is changing uh, rapidly. Winnie, did you have a question? Um, I was just wondering um, if uh, we can have our friends from Taiwan touch on a little bit on. Um, you don't suffer from, I mean, major economic shutdown, shutting down school, etc. But with the tight border control, how does that affect? How has that affected the economy? Is that is that one consideration in terms of thinking about opening up? Well, like uh, Dr. Zhuang said, you know, earlier that uh, we are seriously uh, considering uh, opening up uh, the borders and open uh, open up uh, the economy. You know, uh, for the domestic economy, actually, we never shut it down. So it's right. probably, you know, uh, say 90 percent. Uh, 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 and people are scared to go to the restaurant, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, for most of the activities is relatively normal, yeah. But you are absolutely right that we need to open up uh, the borders uh, sooner or later. Uh, I would argue that uh, actually um, uh, 
in Taiwan, uh, we are probably a little bit uh, too obsessed with uh, zero cases, you know, uh, especially uh, when you are talking about all the asymptomatic cases. So the cases we know is the cases we detect. You know, they're probably uh, cases that uh, we, uh, we, we didn't detect, although I, I don't think they are there, uh, there are m uh, many undetected cases, okay? So uh, what I'm trying to argue is that uh, we should open it up, okay? Maybe there is uh, uh, new cases and even uh, local transmissions. But given the fact that uh, Taiwan has the ability to, uh, to control it, you know, why not... Uh, we just opened it up, uh, tried it, and uh, since we have a very good and robust surveillance system, right, we can uh, detect it uh, right early on, and then we stamp it. Yeah. So it probably, you know, after you open the border, there's a kind of a blist, you know, all the way, but it's not going to hurt. Yeah. And that is the way uh, to go, I would argue. Uh, but... Uh, 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 the government probably have their, you know, uh, thinking. But uh, basically, uh, we are at the time that uh, it's about time to open it up, or uh, or, or the list uh, try to open it up. Yeah. So, and uh, I just heard uh, uh, Dr. Goldstein say there's a, a, a audience from uh, Beijing, right? Yeah. And actually, you know, many of my students. Uh, is now in Beijing, couldn't come home, right? <laughs> come, come, come to Yangming for the graduate commencements. And uh, we have been in uh, teleconference uh, many times. And uh, I wish we can uh, get them uh, back to uh, Taiwan uh, to continue their uh, educations. Uh, but uh, still is, uh, is under discussion, is not being resolved. And so uh, we are pretty much like, you know, to open up uh, the border and uh, have them to come back. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, we are in the good hands. Uh, Dr. Zhuang and uh, the commander in chief uh, will make the decision, the right decision, pretty soon. Did you, uh, you you've used the term co commander in chief a number of times. Could, could you just define whom you're talking about? <laughs> okay. Yeah. This. Well, actually. Actually, this uh, is the question that uh, Winnie just uh, asked about the governance, okay? Uh, that's, uh, we learned uh, in SARS outbreak. Uh, so I keep uh, uh, saying that uh, SARS is uh, the wake-up call of Taiwan. We learn a lot, and that is one of them. You know, uh, during the SARS outbreak, we have that fight between the central government and the local governments. And we don't know, uh, you know, who should make the final decision. So after the SARS outbreak, and actually during the SARS outbreak, we come up with this idea that we need to have someone uh, really uh, have the power, uh, you know, to make the uh, command. So uh, at that time, uh, the president, uh, Chance, asked uh, uh, a former health minister, Professor Lee, that uh, Bill know very well, uh, to be the commander-in-chief, okay? And so later on, we kind of uh, legalized the terms and we put it in our law and say, uh, once you have an outbreak of like this, and then the government can't uh, 
uh, activate the commander in uh, the uh, the uh, the central com uh, epidemic control center, and then appoint uh, a, 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 a person to be the commander in chief. And so just like uh, Dr. Zhuang just uh, mentioned, you know, uh, if it's in the early phase of the outbreak, then you ask the uh, director of Taiwan CDC to serve as the commander in chief, okay? If uh, the epidemic has escalate, and then you will ask the health minister to be the commander in chief, okay? If it escalates again, then you will ask the premium or the vice premium to serve as the commander-in-chief. Once you use the term commander-in-chief, you are uh, switch into a commanding mode, okay, like fighting a war. And so that is a way of communications. That's the way of telling the public that we are in a different mode. Uh, he is not uh, no longer a health minister or director of Taiwan CDC. Now he has embraced a bigger power and we are fighting the disease. So it's a matter of communications, yeah. We have another question from, uh, from a participant. How will, uh, the United States' apparent withdrawal from the WHO affect Taiwan? Uh, has that been a source of information uh, for Taiwan in the past? Uh, in other words, um, the, the United States will is talking about withdrawing, or the president right. talking about withdrawing from from the WHO. Uh, will that affect uh, the information flow to Taiwan, which we assume has indirectly uh, come through Washington to Taiwan, or from the CDC in this country to Taiwan? Well, I don't think so. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, other than the United States, we still have, you know, 20 something allies and who has been in the WHO as well. So if we are talking about getting information through uh, US, uh, then uh, it won't be changed because we can still get the information uh, from uh, other allies, okay? So I don't think that is a big difference, yeah. Uh, but it will make uh, a case for Taiwan that uh, since uh, even the U.S. doesn't want to be a part of WHO, then the argument that, you know, people say, you know, why we should be a part of the WHO will probably grow uh, louders, yeah, you know, we will s sort of stick with uh, the U.S. and uh, we uh, we probably can uh, have our own uh, organizations, uh, like some other people argue. So uh, I think uh, if the if the U.S. Uh, withdraw 
from WHO, then uh, there, there were more people uh, arguing for not to be with WHO anymore. And that's, um, well, that's, that's probably uh, is going to happen, yeah. All right. Um, any members of the panel have anything that they would like to add to that? I just want to convey a message from um, from Michael Zongyi, um, the director of Fairbank Center, um, that he want to express um, his welcome, but also appreciation for our Taiwanese speakers sharing the experience with us. I I want to uh, say whether Taiwan uh, become a member or observing WHO is, needs to be looked at in a larger context. Uh, whether Taiwan has been recognized in the world uh, international organizations and uh, WHO membership give Taiwan the most legitimate reason to say, I am part of the world and with infectious diseases, viruses that do not respond, <clears throat> do not respect national boundaries, every country should be in it. And uh, I think that that's the argument not necessarily Taiwan will receive that much direct benefit, health benefit, because uh, actually WHO information and standards set by WHO and the information generated by WHO, that's made public immediately. There's no secret. And the Taiwan being a member or not member doesn't really get that much benefit. <laughs> so it's a larger question rather than a simple health question whether Taiwan wants to or should be in WHO. So in a sense, it's probably um, a, a more a uh, political issues uh, than just uh, health issues, I would say. I think that's a, a the way it seems to me as well, uh, that it is all part of uh, Taiwan's wish to e increase its international profile. And uh, what I found very interesting about our discussion today uh, is, is the fact that uh, in terms of control of the disease uh, and, and Taiwan's response, the WHO is, is not considered to be uh, that important. And in fact, uh, some of our participants have speculated that non-membership in the WTO was, an uh, was actually an advantage. Uh, and, and that's one of those chance occurrences that happen in history. And um, 
make a difference. We're coming to the end, uh, and, and I, I can't resist, uh, as a person who taught at a women's college, Smith College, for a very long time, to note another uh, happen, uh, happen chance, and that is that Taiwan has a female president. Uh, some of the most successful countries in the world, uh, I have been told over and over again, uh, have female presidents. Germany, Finland, New Zealand, Iceland, Denmark, uh, so perhaps we should include that as a uh, factor as well. Though it isn't very scientific, I admit. <laughs> anyway, I I do want to thank our panelists. Uh, did you want to say something, uh, Dr. Tron? Oh, thanks. Uh, it's our my pleasure to join this uh, online discussion. Uh, and it's very interesting and, and nice to uh, discuss it. Thank you. It will. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, thank you to, to all of you. Uh, we've, we've just been listeners. Uh, you've been doing the work. Thanks, thanks to Winnie. Thanks to Bill. Uh, thanks to the people on Taiwan. And thanks to the participants. I'm sorry we couldn't uh, use all the questions that we got, uh, but uh, I, I think it was a very um, useful session and uh, we appreciate everybody's efforts. Uh, also, I should, I should mention um, Mark Grady uh, at the uh, Fairbank Center who was able to put together this uh, a technological miracle. Uh, so thank you all.